Thanks, you guys. Good morning, everyone. My name is Ken. I'm on staff here at Baseline, and um, it, it's my joy to uh, continue on in our series on the Lord's Prayer uh, this morning. And we have reached the point in the, uh, the prayer where Jesus invites us to interact with God around sin. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Or other translations use the language of debts and debtors and, uh, or transgressions and transgressed against us. But what Jesus is having us think about is, this, is when we do wrong, when we mess up, when we blow it in some way, when we fall short, and when others do that towards us. And um, this morning, I want us to sit with this question. Um, I, I really like the, the subtitle of our sermon series, The Priorities, Patterns, and Power um, of Prayer. And to ask the question, why does Jesus make this a priority? Why is this a part of the pattern that we're invited to pray? And where's the power um, in this prayer? Another way to um, ask this question is this. Why does God make such a big deal about sin? And maybe that sounds a little heretical. We're sort of used to, you know, in church. Oh, yeah, sin, that's bad. We should, you know. But it's actually a question that's being asked in our culture, in our society today. We live in a post-Christian culture now. And um, my other job is I do, I uh, work on, with campus ministry, with InterVarsity on college campuses around greater Los Angeles. And I guarantee you, college students are asking this question on our college campuses. Why, why such a big deal about sin? It seems like the growing trend is, um, you know, everyone should just sort of define their own kind of moral code uh, and not be limited by what some ancient book or outdated religion dictates. Right? It sounds more freeing. It sounds more hip. sounds more trendy. Why does God make such a big deal about sin? And um, that may seem fine until... Um, we experience things like uh, what my family experienced a few weekends ago um, on a trip that we took down to San Diego. We were down there for the weekend, staying in a hotel um, because of my daughter's soccer tournament. Um, it was a kind of weekend-long soccer tournament. And so the timing was such that we had to drive down and go um, you know, to the, the first game, and then we went back to the hotel to sort of check in, unpack, get settled, and then we had to turn around and go back to the second game. And in the process of of two cars and, you know, five people and all the luggage that goes with it. And um, we uh, got confused, and one of the luggage pieces, my daughter's luggage, got left outside the car. And we all went in, checked in, went to the hotel. Now, we didn't, we didn't know that right away. It sort of took a little while to realize that, wait, we're a luggage short, and oh, it's my daughter's luggage. And then, of course, you know, the conversation ensues. Wait, I thought you brought it in. No, I thought you brought it in, right? And it was like, oh, no, what's, what's happened? And so we looked all around for it. We checked with the front desk. Um, no luggage. And what we began to dawn on us is that somehow in the sort of 20 to 30 minutes that that luggage was left unattended, someone came by who had the moral code finders keepers, Right? and uh, sort of took that luggage for themselves. Um, that was not okay with us, <laughs> right? That, that, whoever that was, their moral code, that did not work, you know, did not work for us because we um, 
had something stolen from us. And now there was nothing of monetary value um, in that luggage of any you know, significance. But um, um, as our daughter started to think about what was in there, it sort of dawned on her what she had lost. There was a, a brand new pair of shoes that she really liked that was now gone. There was her favorite sweatshirt that had all the names of her soccer teammates um, on it that um, was sort of a one-time issue. Now that um, was gone. And then the worst of all was uh, my daughter's sort of treasured Build-A-Bear, Abby, that she'd had since five. She was five. Gone. And my daughter was wrecked. Right? And um, it affected all of us um, that weekend. It affected us partly because, you know, uh, my daughter, you know, rather than sort of knowing who to blame, you know, I was sort of the easy person to blame, right? So it's like, it's your fault, Dad. Like, you were supposed to, you know, you were supposed to bring it in, right? And um, I think, you know, not to out my wife, I think she felt a little similarly, like, you know, it's your fault, right? And so I'm dealing with all of that. We're all sort of feeling that. And um, it kind of affected things so much that we ended up, uh, what was supposed to be a fun family weekend all together, um, once my daughter's soccer games ended, my daughter and my wife decided to head back home. She just sort of needed to, to kind of lick her wounds and recoup, and, and I stayed behind with the boys. And so it sort of fractured our whole our weekend. See, I think the reason why God takes sin so seriously, um, and it's such a big deal to him, is um, because sin damages relationships. Sin hurts people. Um, sin affects our ability to relate rightly to God and to one another. Um, at its core, sin is relational. I think we often think of it in just terms of like a bunch of do's and don'ts and a list of things we're supposed to follow. And God, why are you so uptight? But I think God sees it very differently. He says, all of these are my children my, that I love. And when they sin, they wound the relationship between me and them and to one another. We see this when we go back to the very beginning, when we go to uh, Genesis. The picture we have in Genesis um, in the garden before sin enters in is a beautiful picture of, of people and God in harmony with one another. Right? Intimacy and love and purpose and um, kind of serving of one another and all is right. And then sin enters in. Right? They disobey, they eat the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And then the next scene is God enters into the garden. He says, is it cool the evening? God was walking through the garden. And the, the implication is that this would sort of be a regular thing. This was like how God would enjoy um, the man and the woman and, and sort of take this stroll through the garden and enjoy creation together. But because now that they have taken the fruit, they, when they hear God entering the garden, they go hide. They hide from God. The very moment that sin enters in, now relationship is broken between God and his children. They hide from him. They're not walking with him anymore. And then God calls out, where are you? And they, oh, we're, we're, we were hiding. We were, you know, and God figures, you know, knows what's happened. And he says, why did you do this? And then you see uh, the man's response, right? He says, uh, the, the man said, the woman you gave me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate. When sort of caught, right, he turns on the woman. So now it's like, and, and a little bit on God. God, you gave her to me and she did this to me, right? And all of a sudden now relationships are broken even further. There's now a rift between the man and the woman and the man and the woman and God. And it just starts to spiral from there. Just one generation later, we have the story of Cain and Abel. 
And now where there's, there's sin of anger and resentment in, in Cain's heart, and it leads to him murdering his brother. That is the power of sin. Sin damages relationships. It's relational. Now, while we were in San Diego, sort of the second half of the trip, now it's just me and the boys, we decide to go see a movie. And it just so happens we end up at a movie theater that has become rather sort of infamous in our family lore um, because five years earlier, something like that, we had been vacationing down in San Diego kind of a weekend away, and we had gone to uh, see the movie Sing. Um, at this particular movie theater. And I don't remember all the circumstances. All I know is after the movie was over, um, walking out, um, our two younger kids sort of got into a tiff with each other, and I had one of my sort of top three worst dad fails. Okay, Something, I don't know if it was tired or it was just the long weekend or whatever it was, but something about that whole situation. You know, I intervene, I, you know, uh, do the dad thing, and my son was at the age where he was uh, starting to sort of push back a little bit, and he pushed back, and I just popped. I just lost it. Temper just flared, and it was, it was a bad scene publicly in this movie theater, right? Bad, bad dad moment. And so we're at the same movie theater, and the boys remember. They're like, hey, <laughs> you remember what happened here, dad, right? And they're, you know, they're laughing about it, kind of giving me a hard time about it, um, but sin affects relations. They remember, right? They had an experience of me losing my temper with them, and that affected our rela- my relationship with my kids. Now, the same goes for any of us with any area of sin that we might struggle with, um, fall into, whether it's criticalness or impatience or lust or greed or pride or gluttony or fear or control. These aren't just infractions of some kind of outdated holiness code. Um, It's sin that damages the people around us and affects our ability to relate well with God. That's what sin does when it's left unchecked, undealt with. And I think we often like to think about sin in terms of just very much an individual thing between me, uh, you know, and God, between us and God. But sin has far greater power than that. Um, sin actually can be generational. Um, we see in the scripture where God sort of warns us, says, the sins that you commit, they, they get passed down from one generation to the next. They'll be visited upon, the, the sins of the fathers and the mothers will be visited upon the children. Now, I remember coming across that as a young believer and reading that and just having a little bit of like, what? This doesn't seem right. This doesn't seem fair. Like, why would, why would, the, should the kids be affected by the choices the, the parents make? That's, you know, God, what's up with that? But I'll tell you, I have a much clearer understanding of that now after almost 25 years of ministering on college campuses and sort of receiving young people as they step onto campus and watch the struggles that they're having and counseling them and praying for them as they deal with um, you know, issues of addiction or promiscuity or anxiety or codependence or whatever it might be. More often than not, as we press in and we pray through those things, what becomes clear is that they are carrying brokenness inside them that comes from being sinned against, that comes from choices parents made, ways that parents fell short, ways that other family members affected them, that left a mark, that left a place of brokenness that then is manifesting its own sin. Sin is powerful. It passes from generation 
to generation. And then sin can even be systemic. Sin can actually be infused into the very culture and society that we live in. We know this. We live in a country that for 200 years practiced slavery, oppressing people based on race. And that's just one example. And that kind of systemic sin creates tremendous damage that lasts for generations and generations. I think we're still dealing with it today. This is why God takes sin so seriously. The power that it has to damage relationships with each other and our relationship with God is tremendous. Sin is relational. That's why God cares about it. And this is why Jesus emphasizes that when we pray, when we come into God's presence and relate to him, that a good pattern, a good practice for us is to regularly reflect on where sin might be present in our lives. Where our hearts might have gone astray, where we may be affecting the people around us, and where people have wounded us because of their choices and actions. But I think that can feel hard to do. I think it's hard to really kind of bring our sin before God, we, to really face it and own up to it. We actually, you know, can become masters at sort of downplaying sin, deflecting, making excuses, comparing, you know, ourselves to other, oh, I'm not that bad as that other person, you know, and so really, oh, God, we don't really have anything to talk about here. It's good. Um, some of us have worked hard to build up a kind of a pretty good image of ourselves, and so when Jesus says, Bring your sins to God. We say, Jesus, why would I want to threaten that image that I've built up? No thanks. I think some of us are on the opposite end of the spectrum. We might have a pretty low image of ourselves. And so, Jesus, why would I want to feel even worse about myself and face my sin? No, no thanks. But when we have that mindset, when that's sort of the lens that which we are looking at um, God and this invitation um, to ask for his forgiveness, I think we've confused some things. I think we have confused our Heavenly Father and what He's like with Santa Claus. Okay? Santa Claus says he's, He knows if you've been bad or good. So you better be good for goodness sake. You better watch out. Right? It's all in the song. Right? This is who Santa Claus is. Right? And so, and if, if you're good enough, you get the reward. And, but if you fall short, it's, it's coal in your stocking for you, right? Um, somewhere along the way, I think it's easy for us to start to think about God in the way that we understand how Santa Claus works, right? Um, that's not who God is. That is not the God um, that Jesus knows um, when he invites us to bring our sin to him. God is way better, way better. Than Santa Claus. Now, I think for us to sort of grasp this, it might help if you could think for a minute about, think about a time in your life where you just blew it. Like you just, just, there was no, you know, no pretending, no way to sort of make excuses where you just, you just blew it. You knew you blew it. Everyone else knew you blew it. Um, you look really bad, right? You, you've made a huge mistake, whatever it might be. Think about that time. When I think about that, um, lots of <laughs> examples come to mind. But uh, one that um, I felt led to share about this morning has to do with uh, when I was a senior in high school. Uh, me and some friends, uh, some reason, decided that it would be a fun idea to uh, play a prank, like do a senior prank in a sort of a 
a public way. Now, I'm, I'm going to spare you the more embarrassing details, uh, but suffice it to say the, the prank was public. Um, it, was, it was sort of very planned and premeditated, and it was a disaster. It did not go the way that um, we had planned. Uh, we got caught red-handed in a very public way. Um, so the police got involved, the principal, the athletic director. I mean, it was just a whole, uh, a whole big deal. Um, we got suspended for five days was the maximum you could get. I had to write a letter of apology to school. So all this stuff goes down on this one night, okay? Um, and the way the night ended is I had to walk up to the office with the vice principal while she sat next to me, and I called my mom and had to tell her what had gone down that evening. Now, I think my mom, her reaction, she was kind of in shock. I was, I was not a kid who had gotten into trouble. I, you know, I was sort of her good kid, right, you know, and so she just didn't know what to do with it. She was just like, ah, what, you know, and she's like, you just, you better come home. So I, I went home, and as I walked in the door, my mom shared with me the words that um, I was dreading to hear. She said, I've called your father, and he's on his way. Now, my parents were divorced by that time. They divorced when I was nine, and so my dad lived two hours away. Now, this is like nine o'clock on a weekday night, and so I know this is not good, right? He is so upset by what's happened. Like, he has gotten in the car, and he is driving up here to confront me. And I, I mean, I just sat there, and I just was imagining, like, I could just imagine the anger just sort of building all that time in the car, right, you know, and him planning out, like, how he's going to lecture me and chew me out and think about all the punish, creative punishments he could, you know, sort of give me. Um, and so I was bracing, I was just bracing for it. Um, and on top of that, my relationship with my dad was one in which um, I just had given sort of everything I had to sort of have my dad be proud of me, right? I just... And that, I just lived on that. I lived for his praise and his, and his affirmation of me. And now I knew that was sort of all ready to go out the window. And I sat there and my heart was just as heavy as could be. And then my dad finally arrived. And he walks in the door and he sits down in front of me. And then what he says next, I'll never forget this moment. He just said, Ken, boy, you blew it. But we all make mistakes You've been a wonderful son. I couldn't be more proud of you. You already are going to experience the consequences of your choices, so you're not going to get any more from me. I just want you to know that I love you. See, somewhere along the way, I thought my dad was like Santa Claus. Right? I was ready for that coal and the stocking, and instead, my dad showed me mercy. And I don't think he fully understood the significance of what was happening at that moment, but that moment has shaped my understanding of God. It wasn't until later in life that I discovered that that's who our God is. That he is a father who loves to show mercy to his children. And in that moment, my dad showed me something of God's heart. God's response to sin is to show mercy. Our God is a merciful God. We see this in uh, Psalm 130. Verses 3 through 4. If you, God, kept records on wrongdoings, who would stand a chance? Who would stand a chance? As it turns out, forgiveness is your habit. And that's why you're worshipped. See, these verses mean something to me because it's in, just like that night, I, um, I never felt more loved by my dad 
that night when I had blown it the worst. And that has been my experience of following Jesus. There have been lots of more moments of blowing it and coming before my Father and experiencing His mercy. And that's why He's worshipped. Because that is a good God. That's the kind of Father that we need. And God's mercy was ultimately and infinitely expressed through sending His Son Jesus to walk this earth, to die on the cross, to be raised from the dead so that the power of sin would be overcome and God's mercy would reign forever and ever. And this is why Jesus then prioritizes this in prayer and invites us to bring our sin to God. It's in the presence of our merciful and loving God that sin loses its power and we find forgiveness and healing and we become rooted deeper in our identity as His beloved. And that is why Jesus, because of that mercy, invites us to extend mercy to one another. Because forgiveness breaks the power of sin to damage us and our relationships. It restores, forgiveness restores our relationship with God and it can do the same in our relationships with one another. If forgiveness is God's habit, then that is the pattern that we enter into when we embrace our forgiveness. That's why Jesus says we are to forgive others, even as we seek God's forgiveness. Because we are either going to live in the kingdom of mercy or we're not. We're either going to say yes to God's mercy and say, I want to receive your mercy, God. I want to live in this kingdom. And by doing so, that means I will extend mercy to one another. But if we decide, no, I'm not going to forgive that person. I'm going to hold it against them for whatever reasons that might be. Then what we're saying is, no, I don't want to live in the kingdom of mercy. That's why those two things are connected to one another. Now, I say this knowing that forgiving others is not always easy. Sometimes our hurts are so deep and the damage done to us so extensive by others that forgiveness is, can't be reduced to a single moment of decision. But rather, it has to be a process that we engage over time. A process that we bring to God and ask His help for. And I think there are lots of times we pray for things and we're not sure, will God answer that or not? Is that in God's will or not? But I know there's one prayer that we can pray that you can be sure God is going to answer every single time. And that is, God, will you help me forgive? Because that is what God is all about. That is what it means to be a citizen in the kingdom of heaven. And that is what ultimately will set us free. And help us receive the healing that we need. And will stop that damage of that sin from being passed on to others. I told you a story about my dad having a great dad moment. He got it right that night when I was in high school. But my dad is human and he's had a lot of not so great moments. And probably um, one of the most painful ones was when I was nine and when he chose to leave my mom and the damage that that did to our family and to me and my brothers. Now, as a kid, um, in my er sort of early stages of dealing with it, I just, I convinced myself, ah, it's, it was for the best, right? Look, look at all these other good things that have come out of this situation. I was quick to do that. Um, and, um, and, you know, it didn't really affect me. It didn't really affect me. 
as I got older and began to see myself more rightly, I began to realize, oh, okay, maybe it has affected me. There's some signs of that. But I love my dad, and there's no point dwelling on the past. I mean, what's done is done. Let's just keep moving on. And then I shared with you um, about my struggles with anger when, once I became a dad. And, and my experience of that is it would just come from out of left field. I wouldn't feel it coming, and then all of a sudden it was there, and I couldn't control it, and I didn't know why. And then in 2015, um, I got a chance to go on a sabbatical, which is a gift. And in this, that space of stepping away and just getting to slow down and let God um, press in, I began to get in touch with some things. And I saw some signs of what I thought might be depression, so I went to a therapist, and the therapist helped diagnose me as that really wasn't full-blown depression. What was really going on was that I had unprocessed grief in my life. And I didn't, at first I was like, Grief? What, what's there to grieve? There's nothing like terrible that's happened in my life recently. And as we sat with that, what became, what rose to the surface was um, that I had never grieved my parents' divorce. I had never grieved the way that my dad um, had hurt our family and all the ways that that had affected me. And in fact, I was terrified of doing that because um, I love my dad. I don't, I don't want to go there and, and have to deal with those hard things. But um, what convinced me was when the therapist told me that one of the symptoms of unprocessed grief is anger. And I began to realize, I wonder if that's where this struggle with anger has come from for me. Okay, Lord, I need to deal with it. I'm not okay with this being in my life anymore. And so I began to enter into working through those feelings and that grief. And kind of a breakthrough for me came one, uh, one morning I was having breakfast with a good friend. And... Um, uh, my daughter was getting close to turning nine, and I just started to extrovert and muse on the fact that, um, wow, my daughter's about the age that I was when my parents got divorced. And as that thought hit me, I became overwhelmed with emotion because I just thought how utterly devastating this would be for my daughter. I can't imagine her going through this, um, how painful that would be. And yet, I'm like, that's exactly the age I was when that happened. Oh, I think there's some grief here. And so I worked through it, and I f began to face all the ways that my dad's choices um, had damaged our relationship, um, began to see patterns that I had and how I related to him, different triggers that were there over the years. Um, and I realized there were some things I needed to forgive my dad for. But to do that, I knew I needed to talk to him. We had to have the heart-to-heart -heart for me to be able to fully forgive him. He needed I need to be able to express these things to him. And so um, I really wrestled with that. I prayed about it, and I finally decided to act on it when we took an extended family vacation um, um, where we were there together in Hawaii. Right? If you're going to have a really hard conversation, Hawaii is a good place to do it, right? <laughs> Everything else is just nice and peaceful, right? And so um, I sat down. I finally got the moment arrived. I had a chance to sit down with my dad one afternoon, and I just shared from my heart. I just, Dad, here's what's been going on. Therapy and grief and all this unprocessed stuff from way back when, how that's affected me, what's been painful. I didn't know how my dad would respond. But praise God, my dad had an, another one of his all-time top dad moments. He just listened, and he held my grief with me. And he acknowledged it. And he talked about the grief that he's carried. 
He talks about the regrets that he's had and how he's had to work through those and give those over to God. He talked about the grace that he's had to work to receive. And he, and he apologized and he asked me to forgive him. And I did from the heart. And I just felt all these burdens fall off of me. I felt closer to my dad than I ever have been. Our relationship has continued to grow and strengthen. The triggers, the behavior that he does is still there, but it doesn't trigger me in the same way. And, um, and anger has mostly left my life. See, sin is powerful stuff. Our ability to wound one another is seemingly without limits, but sin is triumphed by forgiveness every time. Mercy wins the day because we have a God who loves to be merciful. So when you pray, let the Holy Spirit reveal where our hearts have gone astray. We're in the safest place we could be to face our sin in the presence of our Heavenly Father so that you can bring your sin to Him and experience His mercy. And when you pray, extend that same mercy to those who have wounded you so that the power of sin can be broken and that you can be set free. I just want to close by having a short time of prayer before the Lord together. Just where you are in your seat silently, I'm just going to give a couple prompts and you can interact with, the, interact with God and then we'll, um, we'll close with a final song of worship. God, we praise you because you are a God of mercy. Thank you that we can bring all of our junk to you. And that that's the safest place we can be. And so, Holy Spirit, in this moment, I just pray that you would bring to mind any places of sin that you are inviting us to bring to you, God, any ways that our hearts have gone astray. And Lord, we ask your forgiveness for those things. And Holy Spirit, would you bring to mind any wounds that we are carrying, any ways that we've been wronged by others that we haven't let go of? If you're able, forgive that person. Just tell the Lord in your heart. And if you're not ready or if you're unable, then ask for the Lord's help. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.